Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the Afternoon Show. I'm Bill Arnold. I am really looking forward to today. Jay Warner Wallace is going to join me in just a minute. And Dr. Randy Newman will be joining me in Hour 2 in my Sunburnt series. We're going to talk about Ephesians Chapter 3. And I'm looking forward to that. And Jim Wallace is joining the program. Um, He's been in Alaska lately, so I want to find out about what he's been doing there. He's also celebrating his 10th anniversary edition of his book, Cold Case Christianity. And if you uh, have not ha- ordered that book before or you've never read it, now is the time to uh, order and get the updated and revised edition today. You can do that at Amazon.com, and you can always check out coldcasechristianity.com, which is Jim's website. Jim, welcome back to the show. Well, thanks for having me. I yeah. Actually, we're, we're on a connection here that's not a telephone line. I like this a lot better. <laughs> I do, too. I always feel like I'm in the same room with you, you know? I, I know. So it's good. the best. So you've yep, been making several trips to Alaska the last several summers, and I know this summer's no exception. I would love for you to let me let us know what you do when you go there and, and how you're doing ministry with people in law enforcement. Well, we've been partnering with um, Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, BGEA, um, for years, they have had a law enforcement ministry that has really served to kind of encourage law enforcement officers, but also to get them as trained as chaplains. So when we have one of these big events, uh, when something goes sideways and and they can send out these chaplains to agencies where officers have suffered trauma, and believe it or not, that does happen. I mean, it's, it's certainly been well publicized enough when uh, you know, uh, situations occur where you're like, what? it's very questionable. Why would the officer do this or that? Um, but there's lots of these that don't get covered at all, um, that are situations in which officers are gravely injured or have to witness something or have to do something that would, for anybody else, and and for them, is life-changing trauma that um, they aren't really anticipating and not, don't really know how to deal with it. Um, you know, we've got officers who will lose a partner, have their mm. partner die in their arms, uh, who have been wow. forced in situations where they have to be involved in shootings. And, and you might think, well, this is kind of what you sign up for, isn't it? I, I have not met really anybody who has had to take someone's life who has come out the backside without suffering greatly for having to make those kinds of choices. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to do that. Nobody, it, it's, it's terrible. It's a job. Honestly, Bill, I sometimes wonder like, how, how do is it we even expect human beings to do this, right? And but but we do, and um, the, the, you, we have been partnering with BGEA because they've got this amazing, and it, it was kind of interesting for years. The sister ministry, which is Samaritan's Purse, has been doing um, marriage resiliency retreats in Alaska for military couples mm-hmm. that were where the uh, military personnel of all the different branches of the military are gravely injured and their lives have been changed and their marriages are struggling and they will send them up to Alaska. Tons of people get saved up there, get baptized up there. Their marriages are restored. Amazing work. And we, we've gone and volunteered and visited that twice for two years 
And then when the COVID hit and we had all the rioting related to law enforcement, um, they decided, hey, you know what, we're going to start doing this for police officers. And that's how we kind of got dr- drawn in. We were already kind of on the outside looking in on the military side. Mm-hmm. And this is very specific work. It's for police couples. And sometimes both the uh, husband and the wife are police officers. Wow. And sometimes it's just one side. And they've had to do things that they have now been tormented. And they're suffering PTSD and all the things you would you might think. You know, if there's a there's a thing called the Officer Down Memorial page, um, and it's not run by BGA. It's just out there as its own independent uh, organization, and it keeps track of police officers who are killed in the line of duty. And if you subscribe to that, they'll send you an email every time someone gets killed. It's disturbing, right? And and nobody is covering this at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, no one covers this. Not like the world stops for the next officer who was killed in the line of duty at some small agency or some larger agency, no one's covering that stuff. And the, the, it's really the survivors. I mean, the, one thing that the ODMP doesn't do is it does not track just people who are involved in shootings that change their lives. And there's far more of those. And so what we do is we they, they, you can apply through the uh, Billy Graham Evangelistic Association if you're an officer who suffered trauma and there's marriages. And a lot of times, to be honest, these folks will pull out before they even go. They'll pull out and get divorced before they even get up there. Mm. So if we can get them up there and, you know, uh, some of them are come up as Christians or they come up thinking they've, they've been churched, at least they get saved up there. They get baptized up there and their life changes up there. And, you know, a lot of what we're teaching is just, you know, I, the more we do this, I, the more focused I get in terms of what it is I think that people are suffering with. It's not just cops. It's all of us, but particularly cops. And so I think our our training has gotten, our focus has gotten more laser focused. And I think we're doing a better job of helping these um, these officers kind of come out the backside. Mm-hmm. Jim, do you find that the group that are showing up are, are a little bit more stressed emotionally and physically and intellectually and spiritually? than in the last oh. couple of years? Yeah, I think so. I mm-hmm. think, look, a lot of this is changing also because there's a, you know, and I don't want to sound like the old man is like, you know, the old guys were <laughs> rub some dirt in it and get over it kind of thing. But <laughs> but for a lot of us who are involved in these kinds of shootings, uh, it was a kind of rub some dirt in it and get over it. Yeah. And, and, and so for a lot of those, that generation of folks buried it and, and they would would just kind of live with it. Whereas I think now we're in a culture where at least people are more, they don't feel as uh, stigmatized by at least talking about the fact that they're struggling with this stuff. That's probably helpful mm-hmm. because then it, we can get it out. And and so a lot of what we do up there is just let, give, give them opportunity to voice the stuff that they haven't been able to voice yet. And then um, talk about those principles. And they're all biblical principles. It's so interesting to me. I think I've talked to you about this a little bit. This The next book I'm writing for next year really just focuses in on these aspects of our human nature that are very ancient and they're on the pages of scripture. So what we're doing sometimes with these officers is just helping them to see the obvious, the stuff that's, that's ancient and has been talked about in scripture for 2000 years but that if you don't pay attention to it, you won't benefit from it. So a lot of what we do now is, is working on issues of identity and purpose and value. And where does that come from? And then, you know, where, what is your identity in? As if your yeah. identity is in your job, it can suffer. But if your identity is in Christ, it's a little bit, you know, it can weather the storm. So a lot of that stuff we talk about. 
Mm-hmm. Jay Warner Wallace is my guest, and I was a fan of his before I became his friend. And I am aware that when you go and to these seminars in Alaska, Jim, you pour yourself out. And I have learned from you that um, that's that's how lives get changed when you get in the um, get in the in the in the dirt with people and and go through all of the tough issues because you've lived it yourself as a police officer for what were you thirty years on the force? Yeah, and I'll yeah. tell you that that's the hardest part. Oh yeah, honestly, is the um, what I love about it, Bill, is that when I go up there, I mean, I you know I write books and I write them as Jay Warner Wallace because that's there was a Jim Wallace out there before I started writing books, and I don't want to be confused for him, so I use that name, Jay Warner Wallace. But usually, when I'm up there, nobody knows who you are. Mm-hmm. They aren't reading your books. They don't know anything about your social media platform. They don't know that you're on the Bill Arnold show. They don't know you from Adam. And what's well, they might great know about that. it is- They might know that about the Bill Arnold show. Yeah, of course. I'll know the Bill Arnold. Yeah, that's a good point. I'm surprised yeah. they don't know me because <laughs> if they know you, they should know me. Of course. But, uh, but the reality of it is, is that it's great to be anonymous. Oh, it's the best. And, and be able to talk about um, the gospel without any distractions. And you know, a lot of the work we do is defending- the reliability of scripture or defending the Christian claims. But what's great about this is that this is really gospel focused and gospel centered. So I don't have to, and, and I think that's really where it, what it needs to be. And so, and that's the great thing about working with BGA too. They are very gospel focused. And um, so, and we know that's what really changes. I can give you a bunch of tools to help you in your marriage, but mm-hmm. until you have the Holy spirit empowering your, your, your marriage, it doesn't really change. Mm-hmm. So you have to have both. Yeah. You know? Which brings me to my first question. I, I have a little file called Jim Wallace questions, and I opened it today, and it said, "Oh no!" It said, uh, "Why? Why do some people respond to God's loving grace and find redemption, and others don't?" Well, for, I mean, I can give you the theological answer. That'd be great. That we know that people don't don't come until they're called, and so a lot of this is just that 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 God has to move first. And um, and God does move first sometimes, and 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 I think that this is. Uh, I mean, if I but as an atheist, if you'd have told me that, Bill, I would have said, "Well, that's ridiculous," because that that would assume that there's a God. I think that largely what stops us, not just from making choices about God, but making right choices about anything, like what is the one? If you had to say, so, Bill, what's the one problem with the world? Like, what is the one thing behind every kind of, as I always call it, every kind of stupid? <laughs> like, what is the one thing behind every kind of stupid? Well, if you could identify that, you can go a long way toward finding a cure. If there was one thing that laid at the light at the heart of, you know, lies at the heart of every evil act, every misinformed, stupid act, everything that created problems for cultures, for countries, for societies, well, then I could figure out what the cure is if I knew what the one thing is. So it turns out there is one thing, and it's pride. Pride is at the base of every stupid decision you've ever made, I've ever made, yeah. that any politician's ever going to make. It's pride and arrogance. And the cure for that is humility. Mm-hmm. And it's- so there's one cure, which is nice to know, but it's really hard to apply. And I think that's why some people will hear something. This is what we're, by the way, what are we doing when we're picking juries? We're picking juries. And the, the thing I'm looking for first is humility. And I'm looking for that first because in the end, I need you to have to listen to what I'm what we're saying without being closed off because you think you know better. 
uh, or you think you have some level of expertise, I don't put experts on my juries. I, I need you to be open-minded in the sense that you're not, this is why we come to, when Jesus says you need to come to me like a child, he's not saying you need to come to me in tiny, or you need to come to me with lack of experience. No, you need to come to me without thinking you know everything. You need to come to me and lay down your your pride. And children are much better at that than we are as adults. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's probably the thing that stands between us and every good decision we can make. Yeah. Isn't pride and conceit what made Satan Satan? And what is it also? Did God really say that? <laughs> you know better. You know. That, that yeah. suggests that I would somehow know well enough to know if God, like, that's all rooted in pride. Yeah. And that I know better. I know better is, an, is just another way of saying pride. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's what keeps, and that's what kept me, is that I know betterism that that keeps us from making decisions where we have to assess something fairly. So good. All right, Jim, let me take a little break. Jay Warner Wallace is my guest today. You can go to coldcasechristianity.com to check it out. I've got a little file called Questions for Jim Wallace. If you have them as well, let me know what they are. 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. Be right back. Let's get studying this summer, starting on June 29th, reading the Bible together. Let's explore what the Bible says about suffering, truth, and godliness as we read together through the book of 2 Timothy. Sign up for the two-week study now and get your free study guide at myfaithradio.com. Welcome back to the show. Jay Warner Wallace is my guest today, and he is the author of many books, all of which I have in my library. I recommend you going to Cold Case Christianity, checking out uh, all of his work and his books and his videos and his blogs. He has uh, his updated and revised 10th anniversary edition of Cold Case Christianity. I do highly recommend that one. I don't say that very often, so um, check it out. And uh, I've got a little list of questions that I, I keep on file to ask Jim when he comes on the show. If you have them as well, let me know what, what you'd like me to ask him, 877-933-2484. Uh, Jim, we hear that Christians shouldn't impose their moral beliefs on others. I think we hear that a fair amount. I mean, I could discuss last night's All-Star Baseball game without having any moral opinion but how could I respond to someone's moral beliefs um, if they're immoral without using some kind of moral reasoning? Yeah, good point. I mean, I think that we get, I, I often will say, it's not my moral belief set. I mean, I, I don't think that, and this is where we have to be really clear about what, how morals are grounded. Are moral truth claims simply a matter of personal opinion? We talked about this before on your show. We're talking about how there are subjective truth claims and there are objective truth claims. And what I mean by that is that subjective truth claims are decided by subjects. They are grounded in the subject who holds them. Chocolate chip cookies are the best dessert. It's a subjective claim that is made by the subject known as Jim Wallace. <laughs> I make it true. Okay. It may not be true for you, mm-hmm. but you know, um, the, you know, um, my car is white. I cannot, that's not because I say it's white. It's either white or it's not white. I can mm-hmm. discover that by going outside. It's grounded in the object known as my car. Mm-hmm. 
So it could be true. It could be false. I could tell you my car is white. You go outside and find out that it's red. Okay, well, now this is a false objective claim. Mm -hmm. And it's about an object. Now, the question is, are moral truth claims the same way? Are these just something that we decide? There's only two ways to decide a truth claim. It's either grounded in persons, subjects, or it's grounded objectively in the object under consideration. So when we say torturing babies for fun is immoral, well, is that just because it's my personal, I don't like it? It's my personal opinion. Could it ever be okay to do that? Could it ever be moral to torture babies for fun? I think you would say that even if some people thought it was okay to do it, you'd still say it was wrong. Mm -hmm. The same way we see people do immoral things and crimes and we stop them anyway, and we take them to jail anyway, because even if you say it's okay, we think it's objectively wrong. Now you could argue, well, no, our culture says it's okay or not okay. But even if our, your culture is saying it's okay or not okay, they're just a group of subjects. It's still subjectively drawn. So if I had a group that was out killing babies for fun, would I say that, oh, I can't touch it because in your country it's okay? No, we'd still say that it's not okay, for example, to imprison and execute 6 million Jews because you might have thought it was okay mm -hmm. and your culture might have affirmed it. Doesn't mean it's okay. It turns out that these moral truth claims are also grounded objectively in the claim itself, not what you think about the claim. And so I don't ever enforce or push my moral beliefs on others because they're not my moral. The moral claims are grounded objectively. Uh, we, we have to find together what is the objective truth about this moral claim. And then we're just going to find it. It's not that I, I hold a personal view and then I force it on you. It's that together we find this thing that exists whether we even existed or not, because it's not grounded in our subjective view, it's grounded in the objective claim itself. So yeah, we're not. I'm, we're all on a truth quest, okay. Mm -hmm. And so to, to to kind of like posit it as uh, my effort to twist your arm is not fair, because what we're really doing instead is saying, okay, what is the objective truth about this action? And then we should both object. Uh, by the way, you, I think you would say. That it is, if I said to you, for example, that uh, like I've used this example with you before, that isoniazid is the cure for tuberculosis. And I said, well, no, my opinion, my personal preference is Advil. <laughs> well, that won't cure my TB. Mm -hmm. I might believe that very sincerely. I might believe that very adamantly. But it turns out that it's not, that truth claim is not grounded in me as a subject. It's grounded in the object known as Advil or isoniazid, which actually does cure TB. It would be immoral for me to enforce, to force you to embrace as true my subjective opinion because you'd end up dying of TB. True. So it's immoral to, uh, to, to force somebody to accept as the objective truth something that is merely your subjective opinion. We see this in culture all the time right now with gender identity. No, it's, it's one, if you want to believe you're whatever you are, that's fine. That's your subjective choice. But when you force us to accept as objectively true the thing that you believe subjectively, that's immoral. And so we have to stop and say, oh, no, I got no problem with people who believe whatever they want to believe about their own identity. Why do I care? I don't. Hmm. But to force me to accept it as objectively true, that's a step too far. Yeah. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of pushback right now in our country with that very topic. No, absolutely. And, mm -hmm. I, and to me, it's not a topic that I even discuss from the perspective of religious identity or, you know, my, my Christian worldview says X. I'm looking at it purely on the nature of claims. 
what is objectively true, what is subjectively true, and how even if it wasn't about identity, if it was about a cure for TB or whatever it may be, if you force me to embrace your opinion as though it's an objective reality for all of us, that's evil. And so I won't do it to you. We can, we can, you can make a case for it, and I can decide if that's the best and most reasonable inference from the evidence objectively. But you cannot force me to do it. That's well, not fair. They're certainly trying to force you to do it. They're they're wanting you to uh, agree and speak the lie. Well, of course, and that's where that's why that's why back off the claim that they're making and use another analogy, use another claim. You, we can all agree it would be immoral for me to, to to force me to take Advil when I'm dying of TV, top TB. Mm-hmm. Because I have to embrace your subjective view of the cure. In a similar way, anytime you you force me to embrace that subjective opinion as though it's an objective reality, it's similarly immoral. So I think once we convince people of this thing and detach it from their passionate interest in, in this one topic and let them step back and see that it's just not rational or reasonable – that's a different approach, I think, and that's why I don't. I, I do. I do. I, I of course I agree that my Christian worldview has makes certain claims about this, but I don't want to go from that angle because I'm trying to remember the Jim Wallace I was 25 years ago when I wasn't a believer. You never would have gotten six inches with me that way. I need you to reason with me and tell me why that's this is makes no logical sense first, because like in the end, I what I love about the Christian worldview is it describes the world the way it really is. <laughs> So I can make yeah. a case for the world the way it really is, and I'm very comfortable with the fact that it's going to resonate with Christianity because Christianity is true. So I'm okay with making the case some other way because in the end, it's just going to affirm my Christian beliefs because Christianity is true. Mm-hmm. Well, you can come out with objective truth, and people will say, well, that's your opinion. That's subjective, not objective. And I think, well, how can that be true? They both can't be true. Well, and I, you could also say this: like, uh, uh, my 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 view, honestly, is that you're not Bill Arnold. Well, I might not be. See, at some point, I yeah, have my, at some my stunt point, double might be in today for me. Exactly, yeah. you sure sound like him, right? <laughs> that's not your car, and that's not your bank account. I can be, pretty much erase every aspect of your existence by simply saying whatever I subjectively believe now has to be your objective reality. Yeah, that's nuts. And it doesn't it doesn't go very far. That's why we have to kind of help people to think clearly first. And then show them how Christianity actually represents that clear thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's awesome. All right. Now, we're going to continue our discussion with uh, Jay Warner Wallace. If you have a question uh, or a comment, I would love to hear from you. The number to text is 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. I always recommend you going to Jim's website. It's Cold Case Christianity. Dot com And his book, Cold Case Christianity, is updated and revised. The 10th anniversary edition is out. You can get a, a copy of it. I think you can even get a, a digital copy. I don't know how you like to read. If you like to have it on your computer or your Kindle or you like holding a book, it's all available. And if you are a first-time listener to the show and you're just getting to know Faith Radio, we're so glad that you're here and you can... Uh, get a new free welcome packet from us if you like. You can go to MyFaithRadio.com and check it out. We're going to take a short break, and I'll be right back with Jim in just a minute.
It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time, let's get it started. Jump in your car, what's for dinner? It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno. Welcome to the show. If you just climbed in your car, I hope you had a great day at work. I've got Jay Warner Wallace today as my guest. And whenever I have him on, I always have a number of topics I like to run by him because I always love having access to his his mind. It's such a good one. You can learn more about him at coldcasechristianity.com. He's got his 10th anniversary of his book just out again. It's revised and updated, and I highly recommend you check it out. It's called Cold Case Christianity. Uh, in the last half hour, we were just chatting about, um, you know, you hear that Christians shouldn't impose their moral beliefs on others. Um, and that gets to be a sticking point. It's, it's kind of a, a stopgate for people. Like, I, I don't want you to tell me what you think, and I don't care about your values and your, I don't want to have it run down my throat, so leave me alone. You get that all the time. And Jim loves apologetics. He loves evangelism. So I always love having him on because he can say, when you have those kinds of responses, when you're having conversations with people, Here's a nice way to approach that. Jim, what do you say? Well, I mean, I think that in the end, um, we have to figure out a way to reach people in this culture. You know, we, we talked about this. I was want to cover it real quick because we talked about how um, for young people, we have to answer questions a little bit different. Um, I think that's not just a matter anymore of whether or not Christianity is true. It's a matter of whether or not Christianity is good. But I don't know that anything could really be – my dad believes that something can be good without being true. Mm-hmm. So he would be happy to come to church to uh, – if he doesn't believe it's true, but if it's working for you and it produces something that he values, like you know, kids who aren't in jail, you know, whatever it may be, then he would say, no, this is, this is good and I support it, although I don't think it's true. It's a useful delusion. Mm-hmm. But in the end, if young people don't believe it's true, factually true, eventually they're going to move away from it. They're going to think, well, it's not not a problem for me. I can embrace it when I want, and because it's not really true, true, it's just working true. You mm-hmm. know, it's like utilitarian truth. Um, so I think that's one of the reasons we have to make a case for what is the nature of truth, and is Christianity really true? And then I think young people want you to give them two whys for every what. Right? The first, what is the cl- the claim? Like we do a lot of whats, but then the question is, well, why do you think that's true? That's the first why. Mm-hmm. And and the second why is so that I mean that's the evidence side of it, right? If we're going to make this claim about the nature of moral truth, that it's objective, that you and I can find it together, but we cannot create it. Therefore, I would never be imposing my creation of a moral truth on you because moral truths are not created; they're just discovered. Mm-hmm. So that, that 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 eliminates the possibility I'm going to be enforcing what I you know my opinion on you. Uh, and secondly, the second why is well, why should it matter? So why does this, any of this matter? And I think that's what I think the most young people are like, okay, this is this is starting to sound like something my, my, my parents or grandparents might be interested in, but I'm not really, doesn't apply to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, how much do we seeing in culture right now that young people must be thinking to themselves, this is doesn't apply to me. I mean, the technology is changing so fast that if you are a 15 um, year old right now, your parents, not your parents, but your grandparents for sure, you're like, wow. The technology has really changed the world from just my grandparents' generation. In other words, you could look at your own grandparents and say, yeah, I know better about a lot of things because <laughs> the technology has changed, right? Mm-hmm. But 
But the reality of it is, is that uh, then you might be wondering, well, how much else about the world do I know better? You know, we discovered this recently. We had our first grandchild. Oh, and congratulations. Thank you. And and we're excited, let me tell you. And my son, who's also a police officer who contributes to our website, you know, we're, we're talking about, you know, you, you can't help but want to offer some advice. But the view of young people, I'm talking about young people in their 30s, is that no that that advice for raising children is old <laughs> you know like <laughs> like they, they would i think sooner trust an authority online than and i always think well you know it turns out that whatever we did it actually worked for you but but that's another issue right <laughs> but but yeah. and i think i understand it cuz i think I, I probably felt the same way when i was a young person and my parents might have offered some advice like you always think there's some new way to do everything like nothing you know so anyway the point is I bet you young people are thinking that, yeah, maybe Christianity is just another one of those old views that, that a generation ago used to hold that really has no application today. Mm -hmm. We do things differently now. Yeah. So, so we have to be able to show them that this is, that's the second why. Why does this still matter? Yeah. And how old is your grandchild? Is it a boy or a girl? A girl, not three, let's see, three, four months. And is, is your dad, four months. has your father held her yet? No, and my dad's got so many great grandchildren. Don't forget, my dad's got seven kids. Oh, that's true. And, uh, that's true. So that's there's, true. A, there's just a just a ton <laughs> of grandchildren and great grandchildren. All right. I don't think he's impressed as much as I am. So. <laughs> no. All right. Here's a question, Jim, that came in. When talking about subjective and objective, how do you mm -hmm. reconcile Christian claims that are subjective to non-believers? Okay. So here's what I would say: that that, that there are there are such things as false objective claims. In other words, the claim by its nature is rooted in the object. You can't make it true by changing your opinion, but the claim is itself false. So for example, if I've got a red car and I tell you my car is white, well, the nature of the claim, it's an objective claim because it's that, that I could never make the car a different color by simply willing it subjectively. Mm -hmm. So the claim itself, if, had to, if you first evaluate it, is that a subjective claim or is that an objective claim? You'd, you'd have to say that's an objective claim because number one, it's not a matter of my personal opinion. But now the next question is, is it a true claim or a false claim? Because this can't be leveled at my opinions. If I said to you, I think that chocolate chip cookies are the best dessert. You could say no, you don't. Uh, that's not true. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, it is true. Uh, that's my I, I make it true because I believe it. Therefore, I make it true. But when you say my car is red or white, that could be false. The, those things are verifiable. I could actually go outside and see. Yeah. So, so uh, to be honest, once you determine that something is objective rather than subjective, the only thing left to do is to determine if it's true or false. So when I make the claim God exists. Or that Jesus is the only way to the Father. Okay, that's a claim. The first evaluation is it objective or subjective? Well, can I make it so by changing my opinion? Can I keep it from being so by changing my opinion? No. It turns out that's an objective claim about reality, but it might be a false objective claim. The only thing that's left to do once we figure out which category it falls in, it's objective in the sense that it's a claim about reality that's not grounded in your opinion. Now, what's left is, is it true or false? Because Christianity might be a false objective claim about the nature of the universe. Mm -hmm. But we that's what's left. To, by the way, nobody spends a lot of time arguing with people about opinions. We don't. 
Um, but we should argue with each other about objective claims. So if you told me that, yeah, Advil will cure my your your TB, I hope you would argue with me mm-hmm. if I chose Advil because it turns out I'm going to die of TB because Advil is not the cure. Yeah. So you, we ought to be arguing about the objective claims about reality. We should probably not spend as much time arguing about the su- – look, all of sports talk radio is people arguing about subjective views. <laughs> so we need to really think about it in terms of what is worth arguing about. So I think in the end, I would say to somebody, well, no, that claim is an objective claim about reality, but I'll grant you, Mr. Atheist, it might be false. Now, what's left for us to do is examine the evidence to see if it's false or true. Well, Jim, hasn't the, the rules of engagement changed so much too? We've got so much name calling right now. If if I say to you, Advil's not going to help your uh, TB, you're going to say, well, you're a hater. Right, or you're you're coming at it from a Christian perspective, therefore I can't trust your your view. That's why I think we have to spend more time helping people to see the distinction because we are really in a culture right now where, where young people think that everything is determined by your lived experience. And that means that everything is going to change based on your lived experience. That's a subjective view of everything. Um, but at the same time, you know that if I tell you my 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 uh, ten digit phone number, that's either true or false mm-hmm. because it's not a matter of my opinion. It's the truth about what number will actually get me if you dial it mm-hmm. right. So we live in a world that is dictated by objective truth claims as we're denying they exist. And that's a hard world to live in. There's a sense in me, Bill, and I think as a cop, it's even become more exacerbated in which I'm inclined to let people who hold silly, bad ideas, just train wreck them (laughs) rather than spend a lot of time. You know, like I hear all the stuff work about defunding the police. You know, remember when you had a kid and that kid would like try to you'd be like baking with a four-year-old and the four-year-olds, I've got a cup of salt here to put in the cookies. No, I think it's supposed to be a cup of sugar. <laughs> no, it's salt. I'm telling you, but mm-hmm. I think it's sugar. And they have a pitch of fit about that. They want it to be salt. Yeah. Well, you could argue all day with your four-year-old or you can say, you know what? Go ahead. Make the cookies with salt. <laughs> and after you taste them, I think you'll come back and have a renewed a sense of, of my rightness on this issue. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you got to let your kids train wreck that before they get it. There's a part of me that says, you know what? If you want to live as though everything is subjectively true, let's see how far that let's see how that works for you. Mm-hmm. And then eventually, when that that train, but here's the problem with it, is that these kinds of cultural ideas, everyone has to eat the cookie. In other words, it's one thing for your son to make a bad cookie and then eat it and realize he's wrong, but if he's making a cookie that all of us have to eat. It affects all of us, mm-hmm. and defunding the police or deciding that there are no objective truths. That's a world that hurts a lot of people. Yeah. Where did this, so I, that's why I'm hesitant to, to let that happen. Yeah. Where did this defunding the police idea come from? And how is that ever a good idea? Well, it's not like they're going to defund any, uh, they, they still want to put funds into the project, the, the justice project. They just think that those funds could be better spent on something other than, you know, it's part of the problem is that when you're a cop, you're dealing with the, you know, like I always say, the 30th domino. I wish I could go back and make sure the first domino doesn't fall because whatever the cultural thing was historically that led to this moment in which I have to take this guy to jail, mm-hmm. I wish I could go back in time, but I, uh, you're not hiring me for that. I'm not a sociologist. I'm not a policymaker. You're hiring me to stop this crime right now in the moment. That's a different kind of work. 
than the work that might have gone in 15, 20, 30, 40 years ago to figure out what was the first domino I could have stopped from falling. So you have to ask a question. It's just like you don't call a, pl a plumber and then he gets there and, and you want him to answer why the water system in California has been this way historically. Look, do you want me to fix your leaky pipe or not? <laughs> we could have this discussion about how we got here, mm -hmm. but, but in the end, do you still have a leaky pipe? Yeah. Okay. So shall I fix it? Or do you want to talk about that? In the end, you're calling the cop for the 35th domino and that's all we can do. Is deal with the 35th domino we're like you we like we wish we didn't have a, a world by the way i always tell this to people up in uh, alaska because these cops come up there with shaky marriages and it turns out if you're concerned about your community and you want to be a world where there's no crime the one thing you could do as a culture to reduce crime in a way that nothing else does it is restore traditional family marriages where two biological parents raise their biological children together in a low conflict setting. Every outcome is better for the next generation. Every outcome. There would be no need for police, I suspect, or very little need for police if we respected the institution of marriage between biological children who, who biological parents who raise their children in a low conflict setting. Mm -hmm. Interesting, you said low conflict setting. That's an important piece of that puzzle, isn't it? No, yeah, because in this face that we, you call us out. If you're calling us out to it, we get, I get called all the time when we're working patrol to households in which there are two parents raising their biological children and one's trying to kill the other one. So, I mean, you know, if you've ever watched Dateline, Jim Gaffigan, the comedian, has got a, a hilarious bit he does on Dateline where he says at some point Dateline shifted to spousal murder because it sounds like everyone who starts off happily married eventually kills their spouse. You know, and that's kind of the nature of the Dateline shows that we did. Most yeah. of mine were spousal murders. But uh, so, yeah, there's times when if you don't have that low conflict setting, it's actually worse for kids. But if you can raise them with their biological parents in a low conflict setting, all the outcomes in terms of wealth, uh, lack of incarceration, teenage pregnancy, everything that could be better is better. Educational rates, how far they go in school, what kind of grades they get while they're in school. That stuff's always going to be improved. And, and it's kind of hard to move away from that. And so we have to, part of the decay of what we're seeing, and it's not a coincidence that as you walk away from Christianity as a worldview, and, and by the way, the stats for divorce for people who claim to be Christian are as bad as the stats for people who don't claim to be Christian. But the divorce rate for Christians who actually believe it's true and live in such a way that reflects that they are committed to their Christian beliefs are incredibly lower mm. than the population. So you can say you're a Christian, but unless you're willing to live like you're a Christian, your marriage probably isn't much better. All right, we'll take a little break. Jay Warner Wallace is my guest. You can learn more about Jim at coldcasechristianity.com. If you have a question or a comment, the text line is open just for you, 877-933-2484. We'll be right back with Jim. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. I'm 
back with Jay Warner Wallace. He works in law enforcement for 30 years, a cold case homicide detective. You can see many episodes of him on Dateline and also uh, a professor and author and speaker. And when I look at some of the lawlessness that's going on in our country, Jim, what, as a person in law enforcement, when you look at this, what do you think? Uh, well, I mean, part of it, like I was saying before, I kind of think, well, let's, let's just let these folks eat the salty cookie for mm-hmm. a while. I like that analogy. Like, you know, we have to kind of just let let the thing play out. And this is why you see these epic swings back and forth. You know, it was it was only after a young girl was killed in California years ago by somebody who had been a repeat offender that we um, started using the three strike laws mm-hmm. that now we've all kind of, you know, said, oh, well, that's unfair. So, so it, it always swings in these pendulums uh, one way or the other. And here's my fear, and we've probably talked about this before too. I think that the pendulum is swinging, but the base that the pendulum is sitting on is no longer level. It's tilting more and more and more so that when it swings, it swings further out and away from law enforcement. And when it swings back, it doesn't come quite as far as it used to because the table is slightly tilted now. So we have to be careful not to tilt the table. And I don't, you know, I think that part of it is that our natural inclination as fallen human beings is to want freedom, the freedom to do whatever we want, that we are, it's pride, right? It's that we are, that we, we know better. It's a we know betterism. So, so, so that's why as we go forward and there's no restraining worldview mm-hmm. like Christianity, which holds that I know betterism in check then we are going to lean more and more in the direction the culture is going. And that means that there's going to be fewer and fewer rules for behavior, and except, of course, you cannot impose any rules for behavior. So there's a rule against imposing <laughs> rules. But right. other than that, there's there's it's, it's wide open. So I think you're going to see, like in California, it, we're getting the worst of it right now. In Los Angeles County, the DA there, George Gascon, has decided that he's not going to file charges on anything anymore. So uh, like give give an example of a real life experience out of our agency that if you arrest a juvenile who's like 17, who has just stolen a car uh, and try to chase him down and get him in jail, finally, they'll be released immediately. They won't even, they won't file charges on juveniles uh, for nonviolent crimes and stealing a car is no longer considered a violent crime. So, so you could literally as a juvenile, you could, and we're talking about just being cut and released to your parents hmm. and steal the next car the next day. And you could do this every day Wow! because we're at a place right now where we've decided we're just, it's not fair to young people who have been raised in under a certain kind of environment, cultural environment to, to take them to jail anymore. Well, if we, if we hold that view, there's a part of me that says, really, do you want to live in that world? Uh, no. Okay. Knock yourself out. Yeah. At some point you're going to return to normal. You're going to return back to the, to the baseline because you can't live that way. But here's the problem. As we let go of these norms, it's it, once the genie is out of the bottle, it's impossible to put it back in. Mm. And so we we end up with a world that is so desperately broken that again, now the thing is so tilted that we can never swing it back all the way to where it needs to go. So I do, you know, my fear is that. But look, as Christians, we know that this is exactly what we ought to expect. That the that 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 the the the, the garden is not. We're not in the garden anymore, and we're not, and the new garden is not available. Until Jesus comes back. Mm-hmm. So in this period between the gardens called reality for us, 
it's our temporal reality. Well, it's temporal. It's it's just temporary. We have to just get comfortable with it. And in the end, we're, we do win, but I don't, I don't expect to win in this life. Mm-hmm. Jim, I've always thought the Department of Corrections is one of the best evangelical tools out there. Well, yes, it is. But think about this. You cannot have corrections unless there is something objectively correctable. So in other words, when you say that something can be corrected, it means you have to have, number one, there has to be free agency. You have mm-hmm. to believe there's free agency and that there is something that is, uh, that is you would say, is, is immoral or, or broken that needs to be fixed and could be corrected. So I wonder if we're even going to have that term for long. That's interesting. But yeah. yeah. I, I mean, you could, you could separate people. But the idea that that we're going to impose a view that you could you should correct your view to this one, are we losing that ability to say that? I yeah. hope not. I was thinking more of the seventeen year old or the nineteen year old who goes and spends some time in in jail or prison, where they have a little bit of time to think and they find that they come to know Christ in that environment. Yeah, and I just I, well I look, and I think that's true. But I wonder, like in California, we're not putting people in jail. Which is not so we've empty, we've emptied out the jails. The, well, the, that kid that kid who was seventeen and used to steal a car and go to jail, yeah, is no longer going to count to to juvenile hall. No longer going to juvenile to uh, custody facilities. Wow, it's wow. not happening anymore. Wow, so, so so that you're right. So you're not even giving a, a, the, the wake up call that, that, that doing a crime used to be for some people. That's not even happening anymore. I mean, if I have if I'm a store owner and you can come in and steal nine hundred and fifty dollars worth of my merchandise without a penalty. That's the wild, wild west. Then, no, absolutely, it's that's a nonviolent crime. That's so now that's why. And by the way, that's why businesses in some of these places, like Los Angeles County, are just leaving rather than trying to. What's the workaround for that? But you just just don't do business in Los Angeles County. That's why I say we. I kind of think okay, that's good. Now the, the cookie's nice and salty. Let's let let's see what happens. And so you would think, well, at some point, someone's going to say, if for no other reason, we need to restore some order so we get businesses back. You know, they want this entire flight of business because it turns out that everything is based on taxable income. And and if you don't have taxable businesses, you, you can't survive as a county. So I would hope that, this, yeah, this, this, the cookie is salty. Mm-hmm. And then the amount of homelessness and the problems on the street with uh, addicts and and they, they don't they don't want help. They A lot of them want to just keep using drugs. Well, and this is the problem. This is the nasty little secret that no one wants to talk. I think we're talking about it more now, but it turns out that homelessness is not like we think of it as, you know, we're at a job, out of work for a while. Right. There are, I'm sure, some very, 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 very small percentage of people that's the case, but most of it is either mental health issues mm-hmm. or drug addiction or mental health that's caused by drug addiction or drug addiction that's caused by mental health issues. Mm-hmm. And, and so if we don't have a system in place that deals with drug possession, those people used to go in jail and they right. get clean, at least while they were in jail. Yes. We don't arrest those people anymore because it's a nonviolent crime. So we don't arrest those people anymore. So now they're still on the street. And if there's no place to put people who are mentally ill, and we've stopped that as well in Los Angeles County, at least, well, now you have no, the two ways we used to deal with this issue are no longer available to us. Hmm. So now you just let these folks, uh, and by the way, the, those folks sometimes do commit crimes. <laughs> So it's not as again we have to let the cookie get really salty, and I, it's it's sad but true. This yeah. is the nature of how this is going to work. Yeah. So instead of trying to help them get sober or help them with their mental health issues, it seems that they try to do a better job of accommodating them with their drug paraphernalia. Right. Well, exactly. So that's why we if if we start calling evil good and good evil, what does that sound like to you? It sounds like wow, the stuff that's in scripture might actually be true. 
Yeah. That, that if we, if we, that it turns out human flourishing, I, I've been saying this a lot lately, that if you aim at human flourishing, you hit this bullseye called Christianity every time. You may not have realized it, but every principle that leads to human flourishing, like the adoption of humility, the balancing of, of grace and truth, of all these things we talk about, and how to resist celebrity and, and, and the importance of relationships, all of these things are in scripture. So it turns out that if you simply would read your scripture, you probably would end up living a life in which you're flourishing. And the more that we, and that's, don't be surprised that in a world right now, in a country where the, the Christian worldview is shrinking, mental illness is rising because you're walking away from the one worldview that would provide you with flourishing. Do you want to thrive? If you don't, even if you didn't believe like my dad. He knows if you want to thrive, just follow what the Bible says, even though he thinks it's a lie, he doesn't think it's true. <laughs> he knows it actually works. Mm -hmm. And so he embraces it that way. So in the end, I think that's that's one I think evidence that it is true, is that it actually describes the world the way it really is. Mm -hmm. So good. Jim, I have missed talking to you. Thank you so much. I know you've been very busy in this summer. You're going to spend more time in Alaska. So I look forward to the next time you can be on the show. It's always great having you on. Well, thanks for having me. Can I just give a quick shameless plug? Oh, of course. ColdCaseChristianityBook.com. ColdCaseChristianityBook.com. You'll see this amazing set of curriculum we are giving away for anyone who purchases the book. So I just want to make sure that we, yes. we give as much free stuff as we can out there. And so if you're going to get the book anyway, go to that website so you can get the free curriculum that goes Thank with it. Thank you for telling me that because I've been not directing people to that website. ColdCaseChristianityBook.com. That's right. Perfect. Thanks, Jim. Have a great rest of the day. Thanks. I appreciate it, Bill. You bet. We'll take a little break. When we come back, Dr. Randy Newman is going to join the program. We're going to jump into Ephesians chapter 3. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.